0: Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about vision. We've been talking about our vision here at Vineyard Cleveland that we sense God laying on us as a community. And we We talked about how vision comes from or springs forward from a place of shared values, and a couple of those values we talked about in the first two weeks, Uh, the first one being living presence, and the second one being authentic community last Sunday. And if you weren't here for any of those talks, I want to encourage you to visit our website, VineyardCleveland.org, and you can listen to those messages over the past couple of weeks if you miss them here. This morning... We're going to be talking about the third kind of, like, if you picture a stool and it has three legs, and and that is the vision of the church bringing life to the city. It stands on three legs to that stool. The first is living presence. We want to do uh, nothing apart from the presence of God. The second is authentic community that we share life with others in the mess, and the pain, and in the joy as well. And the third... Is outward focused life. So we want to be 100% devoted to Jesus at Vineyard Cleveland. We want to be 100% devoted to each other, and we want to be 100% devoted to those in the world. What the early church did, we want to be here at Vineyard Cleveland. And so this morning we're going to talk about outward focused life. And the value is compassionate ministry, as you heard Phil Strout talk about his interaction with John Wimber in the early days. We want to do nothing apart from um, ministry that is dealt in compassion. That's the way we do things. All of these values spring from a place of love. The foundation is love. An outward focused life is no different. It springs forward from a place of love. You know, when the Puritans uh, came over to North America, they defined sin as life bent in on itself. The Puritans said that sin was life bent in on itself. This morning, as we talk about outward-focused life, keep in mind that um, outward-focused life or compassionate ministry is the opposite. It reaches... Away from ourselves and into other people. And so I wanted to take a little bit of time to define the word compassion just so we have a framework to work from in the Hebrew and in the Greek. Hebrew is a um, pictorial linguistic tradition. So think like cave drawings on a cave if you're in North America or Instagram if you're a 21st century American. So people earlier than the Hebrew written language that we have today were speaking to one another or defining terms by way of pictures. And the picture we get from the word compassion in the Paleo-Hebrew, this is the earliest Hebrew language that we have access to, the word is rachem. You kind of got to get the phlegm in your throat there if you're if you're speaking Hebrew. Rachem. Like the bread challah, it's Rachem. And it comes from three uh, Hebrew letters which are named Resh, Chet, and Mem. And what's interesting about Rachem, if we read there from right to left, is that the word for deceiver in Hebrew is mem. The Resh means like the authority, the resh means like authority. The mem means uh, flowing waters or chaos. And so we have this word for deceiver, mem, in the authority of chaos. And so you might be wondering, where is compassion in the word rahem if the word mem is the word for deceiver? And the key to unlocking this meaning for us this morning is found in the middle letter, which is the chet. The middle letter chet, and you can kind of see it even resembles a gate or a door, unlocks the meaning of the word compassion for us. Rachem literally means the doorway or the path through chaos. Jesus, the Messiah, is the gate, He says of Himself in John. Jesus is the Chet. He's the one who leads us through the chaos into the presence of God. He is the divine, you see it in the middle, Jesus is the divine interruption To chaos. He's the one who brings order from chaos. It's in the person of Jesus square in the middle of the Hebrew word for compassion. Or, we can put it this way, we were on the road to destruction. We were were on the road as my friends, the great theologians, Angus and Malcolm Young and Bon Scott, great theologians otherwise known as ACDC, on a highway to hell. And Jesus came as the Chet to become the divine intervention for you and I. To make a way for you and I. He had compassion on us. We read in the New Testament that He was filled with compassion. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 34.6, We find uh, the first time that God reveals Himself to men and women in spoken language. And Moses is asking this question, the same question that we ask today. What are you like, God? Yahweh, what are you like? Show us what you're like. Tell us who you are, what you're like. And the first thing... The first insight that God gives about who He is, about His character, is this. God passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Order is important to God. And the way that He chooses to reveal Himself from His spoken word to men and women, get this, the first thing out of God's mouth is that He is compassionate. He is compassionate. That's who He is. Jesus likewise in Matthew 9.36 says this, when Jesus saw the vast crowds of people, His heart was deeply moved with compassion because they seemed weary and helpless like wandering sheep without A shepherd. The Greek uh, word for compassion is more guttural. It's it's actually physical, it's intestinal, if you will. Jesus was moved to his guts with compassion, with rachem. He cared so deeply about the people around him that it hurt him. He was moved to his core. With compassion. And so, from these definitions will work. But the greater insight when we talk about compassion, we're not even on to like caring about the poor or ministering in compassionate ministry. We're not there yet. It's worthy to note, just to pause here for a second and draw the insight out from these passages in the meaning of the word compassion, That that's who God is. That God is not angry with you this morning. God is not mad at you. You haven't committed the unforgivable sin. These scriptures tell us, if you are a follower of Jesus, and you believe that Jesus is the spitting image of the Father, He's exactly like. He's a replica of the Father. He's the Father in skin and bones, you see. If you believe that, you must believe this morning that Jesus was filled with compassion, which means that His baseline emotion, God's, God feels, you know. He's not just in the pages of some book. God feels, and when God feels for you, His baseline emotion when he thinks about you is compassion. It's not the wrath of God. God doesn't look at you and think, I'm mad at you. I'm going to smite them. His core, the foundation of who God is, is a lean toward humanity with compassion, not wrath. There are those around who claim in the name of Jesus, we need more wrath of God from the pulpit. Don't forget about people's sin. Oh, people are well aware of it. The baseline emotion from God is not his wrath towards you. It's his love and compassion. And that's what you must believe if you claim Jesus as Lord. Anything else is not the gospel. We'll get into inheritance in a second. But anything else is not the gospel. Oh, I'm fired up today, y'all. Wow. Wowza. Let's go. (laughs) Let's go. So compassion, co-passion to with... Co with passion, suffer. To suffer with. Jesus is the suffering servant. He has come to serve and not be served. He suffers with people. God's saying, I'm not like you and I am like you in the person of Jesus. Jesus knows what it's like to be in pain because He is the suffering servant. He knows what it's like to have His body racked in pain as He suffered on the cross. He identifies with the lowly and the meek, not the rich and the powerful, or the religious. Jesus is the suffering servant. And so today we're going to look at a familiar story to you. This guy's name is all over hospitals, all over the world. Um, and I, I think it's kind of misappropriated in its title there in your Bible. If you wanted to turn to Luke 10 with me, that's where we're going to be for the majority of this morning. Luke 10, 26 through 36. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan. I think it could be called the story of the Good Samaritan or the story of the loser in the ditch. One or the other. Take your pick. And so we're going to read that. And the context is this, before we read it, is that a teacher of the law stood up to test Jesus. So so there are religious people around, uh, folks who are teachers in the law, and they're trying to corner Jesus. And you'll see here they're asking Him what's called in um, logical thought or philosophical thought a dishonest question. A dishonest question, some of you have had dishonest questions asked to you before. What a dishonest question is, is a question that's not asked from a place of curiosity, wanting to know more about a certain subject, a dishonest question seeks to corner the other person and to show how much you know more than they do. So they're, they're out to get Jesus again, and we read this, verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do? To inherit eternal life. Stop. The teacher of the law, immediately from verse 25, we learn is asking the wrong question. What question is he really asking? Is a question that we'll ask through the telling of the story. He's asking the wrong question. What must I do? Let's take a look at that question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Some of us have asked this question over the course of our lives. He's asking the wrong question because you know, as well as I do, that inheritance costs you nothing. You don't work towards inheritance. You simply receive inheritance. You didn't work to become a son or a daughter. You simply are that. And So many of you, just to put it in a, in a um, relational context, many of you who have lost a loved one or parents know that you did nothing to receive the inheritance that they left behind for you. And so the Pharisee or the teacher of the law here is asking the wrong question. He's saying, what do I have to do to earn your inheritance? And by asking this, you see, he's attempting to strip God or to rob God of who He is. If you, another way to put it, if you were able to earn God's favor or earn eternal life, you would be robbing God of who He is. That's why it's a dishonest... Are you tracking with me? You see that? Compassion, what Jesus will go on to show us through the telling of this story, is never earned. It's always given from a baseline emotion of who God is. And so this teacher is trying to Rob God of his character by asking what he has to do to get it. Okay, let's move on. Jesus asked him, as he frequently does in Scripture, a question. He doesn't give him a straight-up answer, but he asks him a question and then tells him a story. Oh, that Jesus. It's always wily like that. What's written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? The teacher of the law answered, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a really per- church kind of answer that this guy gives, isn't it? It's really neat and tidy. It's also historical. He's also doing what he thinks uh, Jesus wants to hear from him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. You answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Verse 29, here's the key. This is the hinge. Here's the turning point. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Uh oh. Uh Uh-oh. This is the key to why you and I do not act from a place of compassion. We, like the teacher of the law, if we're honest with one another this morning, would like to justify ourselves. Let that one sit a little bit. But he wanted to justify himself. This man is not really asking who his neighbor is. You do realize that. Yes, these may be the words that are coming out of the teacher of the law's mouth. But he doesn't really mean to find out who his neighbor is. He wants to find out who his neighbor is not. Remember, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then, Jesus tells him a little story. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him, had compassion on him. Check it. He took pity on him, so he went to him. Hold that. Because those, those two phrases are purposely put there by Luke. So that we would see that compassion Compassion must be exercised. It must be expressed in action. He took pity on him, so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring out oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Five things there he did. The next day, he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. The Samaritan says, put the bill on me. Give me the tab. Which of these three, Jesus asked, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Mic drop. The expert in the law was not asking who his neighbor was. He was asking who his neighbor wasn't. He was really asking, how much will it take me, catch it, how much will it take me, how much will it take to get me out of serving someone other than myself? If you just tell me a cost, I'd be happy to pay that. Instead of having my heart transformed. Just just tell me how much a couple hundred bucks? Can, can, I just, can I just fling a quarter and be done with this? Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. It's your heart, man. It's your heart. It's all about transformation. And before we hear any sort of religious guilt this morning, let's, let's spin it. Let's, let's take it positive now. The positive is this, that yes, our hearts are defaulted this way, like the expert in the law. But here's the good news, is that I know of you. I do life with you. I see you guys live. You see me live. I know, as you follow Jesus, there's this cry deep in your heart that wants to see transformation in others. You want to see the kingdom come. Jesus taught us to pray, and I know that you pray it. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let your rule and your reign settle on us. And that's true and good. You know, there's a group of us going to Brazil later on this year, and we'll be going from that sense. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Here in Cleveland, there in Brazil, everywhere, Lord. Let it come. But the prayer sometimes is the same for us as it was this religious expert, this expert in the law, keeping the law of God. And a lot of times we pray, God, help me show compassion on others. Ah. You know, if you're like me, you do pray that. God, help me show compassion on others. I want to show compassion on others. I care about myself too much. I don't want to care about myself that much. Please, I want to care about others more. And that is a fine prayer to pray. I'm not saying don't pray that anymore. But shouldn't the prayer be, instead of that, let me care about others more? Jesus, change me into the type of person who would have compassion on other people. You see, because the first prayer can do that, show compassion to others, without the heart change. And we miss Jesus. Here's a quarter. I hope you like my compassion. (laughs) You see, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't come down as the embodiment of God's compassion and say, there, I died for your sins. I hope you liked it. And Jesus never did that. Jesus was about the heart. And that's what he's getting at with this guy. It's about the transformation of our hearts. God, make us the type of people who would have compassion on other people. Even when we don't feel like it. So Jesus is saying, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And what he's saying is that compassion doesn't simply walk by. Compassion doesn't walk by. It's moved inwardly to serve outwardly. And like Martin Luther King Jr. asked, the Samaritan in the story doesn't ask the same question that the religious expert asked. The other characters in this story, the priest and the Levite, ask the similar question to the religious expert, which is why Jesus told this story. But the people who walked by, the man who was beat up and robbed and in the ditch, ask the question, what will happen to me if I stop and care for this man. The Samaritan who stopped didn't ask that question. He asked a different question. And the question that the Samaritan asked was not what will happen to me if I stop and care for this man. The question the Samaritan asks is what will happen to this man if I don't stop? If I don't stop and care for him, what will become of him? What will happen to him if I don't stop, if I don't care for this man? And here's how compassion or outward focused life is connected to vision at Vineyard Cleveland. It's just different. This is our hope, that it's just different around here. That it wouldn't be like the place where there's a bunch of individuals walking around and saying, there, have some love, I hope you liked it. That we would be a church who become people of love, who serve others from a place of compassion. The way that we do it is important. The way that we do it is important. We want to be a great friend to the city around us. We want compassion to be a hallmark of how we serve others. And y'all are doing that. You really are. You're doing it in a number of different ways. And they hate when I brag on them, but I brag on them all the time. The Seeds of Hope community and those of you who serve at Seeds of Hope, I know you don't do it for the recognition for me saying so. But you guys are amazing. You guys are working in this. Showing up faithfully. For years, decades, you've been showing up faithfully. Doing what? Some crazy outlandish deed for God? Nope, packing cereal boxes. We're just unloading pallets. We're unloading pallets of cereal boxes and Nutri-Grain bars. I mean, how holy can you get? That's just like amazing but you show up faithfully. And, you, and it's not just the um, unloading of rice cakes and nutrigrain grain bars, but it's the way with which you distribute them to people who need them from a place of love and compassion. Even when some of the clients at Seeds of Hope show up and roll up in Lexuses. They, no, really. No, really. Compassion's not changed by other people's circumstances. Compassion moves from a place of Jesus' character. And so it serves the client who shows up at Seeds of Hope in a BMW just the same as it serves the person who walks up and is homeless. Because you've had your heart changed by the compassionate heart of Jesus. And I want to encourage you to keep on Keep on showing compassion, even when it hurts. We want to be a best friend to the city, BFFs. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said this, We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. Bonhoeffer got it. Once we begin to see people in this way, we begin to see folks as, as God sees them. As human beings, then we're able to step into bringing life to the city for a city who desperately desires a different story. Yeah, as followers of Jesus here at Vineyard Cleveland, we don't take back our city for God. We're not like, let's hit the streets and see the kingdom come. And, you know, Jesus didn't show up like that on Palm Sunday. And neither should we show up like that in our everyday lives. But Vineyard Cleveland, we are a people who doesn't take back our city for God, but rather bends low, wraps the towel around our waist, and washes the feet of the city. The two postures are so different, aren't they? Take back our city for God. And bends low and washes the feet of the city. That's who we are. Because Jesus always stops. Jesus always sees. These little pert phrases in the New Testament are purposeful. They're intentional. And you get these little blips into who Jesus is and his character, and it's so lovely. It's all over the gospel narrative. Jesus stops. How wonderful is it that you love a God who stops, who cares enough to stop for the one. Jesus sees. How wonderful and refreshing it is to know that you serve and love a God who sees, who sees people the world can't see, who sees the people who are invisible to the rich and the powerful, but who God knows their story. So wonderful. And it's about systemic transformation, too. Martin Luther King Jr. said this true compassion is more than flinging a coin to a beggar. It comes to see that an edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring. You know, all political discourse aside, in the 60s and in today, this is what you signed up for when you signed up to follow Jesus. Sorry, you're in. (laughs) You're in. You signed up for structural change when you chose to say yes to Jesus. Or rather, Jesus became your Lord. Jesus found you. Because that is your prayer as a Jesus follower. The same as MLK is there. You don't want to see some political party's kingdom come. You want to see the kingdom of God come. You don't, you don't want to see like the economic situation change necessarily for the 1% or the 99%. You want to see the kingdom of God come. Your prayer in praying that God let your rule and your reign, Jesus let your rule and your reign come to Cleveland on earth as it is in heaven is a deep cry. For the edifice which produces beggars needing restructuring. When you pray, Lord let your kingdom come and your will be done. You're praying that all of the broken ways. Through governmental programs. um, Through wealth and power. Educational systems. All of that. You're praying, don't let those things come in fullness. Jesus, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. You're saying no to all the little kings who sit on their little thrones trying to build their little worlds. And you're saying, Lord, let your kingdom come so that we see that the edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring at the very core of who it is. To do something. Because it will, it will cost you. This will cost us as we close. Ministry. Compassionate ministry. Ministry is just a fancy word for service. The ministry of defense. The ministry of education. Just a fancy word for service. And if you are ministering, if you are following Jesus into acting upon the compassion that you sense from him, it will cost you. It costs Jesus his life. The reason it will cost us something is because it always happens in the most inconvenient moments. Service and ministry happen when it's inconvenient to us, when we really don't feel like it. I really feel like just watching the game tonight. But small group's on. So where do I go? I'm really tired. I don't really feel like showing up to Seeds of Hope. What do I do? Go to food pantry. It's always happening in inconvenient times. And so I want to encourage you this morning to continue to step into compassion because though it will inconvenience you and though it will cost you everything, it will cost you in time to follow Jesus in this compassion thing. Man, just like a preacher, I said I'm going to close up and here I am still talking. (laughs) Though it will cost you in time, it will cost you in resources, in relationships, it will cost you everything Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. And though I'm not in my 70s yet, I've been following this guy, this Jesus, for long enough to know that even if I don't see that He's worth it, in however many years I'm given here on earth, I know, even when I don't experience it, I know, even when things are not clicking in my life and everything's a mess, I know that he is worth it. He's worth it. It's worth your time. It's the only, he's the only one who's worth your time. He's the only one who's worth your money. The only one who's worth your resources to serve someone else in the name of Jesus is the only worthy lifelong pursuit, even when you don't see it.